Good morning. You have your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. It has uh, been a really encouraging day of worship so far. Do you agree? Uh, it's just really been encouraging to see your enthusiasm from up here is, is really contagious. And uh, the way what you pour into worship, you know, you know how we talked about reciprocity last week? What you pour into worship, the worship team on the stage sees that and feels and reciprocates. And so it's, a, it's amazing how we can, uh, how we can help each other. And, and Kendall, as, you know, he's, he's not just our worship leader, he's our, you know, he's our lead worshiper. He's the one that's taking us through this, and he does such a good job, and he's been uh, just really showing us his heart lately. I'm really uh, grateful that we have Kendall and get to work with Kendall and the rest of the worship team. They're just really talented people, and I'm just, you know, count myself lucky that I get to be a part of them, and so it's a, it's a great thing, and I really appreciate what they're doing. Well, we're in the, the fifth of a series called Give Me Jesus, and uh, if you are visiting with us, to just give you a brief recap of what we're doing, is that we're looking at the teachings of Jesus. It is very easy to be enthralled and taken by the miracles of Jesus. And Jesus did some incredible things. He healed a lot of people. He did a lot of good with His touch and, and with His words. He, uh, he gave sight back to the blind. He opened up deaf ears. He allowed muted tongues to, to speak. He even touched people and, and brought them back from the grave. And that's a great and wonderful thing. And I'm so thankful that we have those narratives about Jesus and, and the miracles that He performed. But if we're not careful, we can be like the crowds that we read about, especially in John chapter 6, who became so enthralled with the miracles that when Jesus began to teach them, they said, this teaching's too hard, we don't want anything to do with this, and they began to desert Him. And we want to make sure that as the followers of Christ, we are not people who are only interested in the miracles of Jesus. We want His teaching. We want His words on how we are to live our life and what it means to take his words and put them into practice and live as one of his followers and so simply all we are asking for in this series is just give me Jesus right give me Jesus nothing more nothing less give me give me the words of Jesus well have you ever lost anything that was really important to you. Anybody ever done that? All the time. Yeah, that is not a fun feeling. I remember when I was uh, little, my next door neighbor lost her engagement ring, and she was looking frantically for it all through the neighborhood and asking people if they'd seen it or if she'd left it somewhere or not. And I happened to be the one that found it. It was right off of our front steps in some, uh, it had gotten covered up in some leaves, and I really don't know how I found it. I just remember finding it and taking it to my mom and saying, hey, I found this ring. And when the neighbor came over, she was ecstatic because she had this ring back. I mean, you know, the, the, that kind of ring, that means something. You know, her husband had given her that. It meant something. It was important. And she was overjoyed at having back her engagement ring. I thought it was kind of weird. I was like, it's just a ring. But I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't understand the, the significance that that ring carried, but she was so excited. Well, I also lost something that was of uh, significance to me one time. Uh, 
years ago, uh, when Bethany and I were going to New York, we uh, were taking teenagers up there, and we stopped at a, a rest area, a travel plaza in Delaware. We were on the, uh, the New Jersey Turnpike. Uh, anybody ever driven the New Jersey Turnpike? Who's been? Okay, so if you've been there, you know you don't just get off that thing, right? You don't just get off the New Jersey Turnpike. If you're on it, you're there, okay? And by the way, you've paid to be there, so you don't want to get off of it, okay? They've already, get, they've already hit you up. Now, you're going to pay to get off of it, but at that point, you've paid to get on it, and you're there. Well, we're cruising through Delaware, and it was time to, to stop and eat. And so they have these travel plazas kind of in the middle of the turnpike. It's gigantic. And we get out, and uh, I say, okay, we're all going to eat at, at Shoney's. Don't go anywhere else. Just eat at Shoney's. We'll, then we'll, you know, we'll get on out of here because we've got to make good time. Well, we go in and sit down, and I'm counting the kids because that's you know, what I do. I'm taking these students to New York. I want to make sure I've got them all. I want to make sure I come home with all of them. That seemed to be a pretty important thing. So I'm sitting down, and I'm counting, and I'm missing one. And his name is Cody. And I said, have you guys seen Cody? And they're like, no. And they're just chowing down. They don't care. Well, where is he? I don't know. I saw him in the van. Uh, well, he, he, was, he was asleep a little while ago. Well, did you see him get out of the van? I said, yeah, yeah we saw him get out. Well, where did he go? Hmm. Did you see him in the bathroom? No. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe then the food showed up, and then they really started digging in. They cleared out the appetizers, and now the food's there, and nobody cares that this kid is missing. Now then, not only do I not want to lose a kid on admission trip, I specifically didn't want to lose this kid because this kid was my youth minister growing up. This was his kid, okay? And that would be really bad for me as a youth minister, to have lost my youth minister's kid. Okay, of course, I would have blamed it on him for not training me properly, but, you know, whatever, that's another sermon. And so I'm looking frantically all over this travel plaza, and there's, yeah, he is nowhere to be found. Nobody cares except me that this kid is missing, and I'm looking, and I'm going into the, you know, there's five or six different restaurants, and I'm looking all over the place, and I'm looking in the bathrooms, and I'm finally getting to the point where I'm just desperate, and I'm hollering, Cody, where are you? Nothing. Nothing. I look out at the van. I don't see him there, and I don't know what to do. I remember I had, this was a day when you had a flip phone. I had a flip phone. I'm getting ready to call 911, call the state police of Delaware and say, I've, I, I need to report a missing, persons, a missing person. And then it occurred to me, I'm going to have to call his parents. God, please help me find this kid. And so I thought, well, I'm going to look another five minutes before I call. Okay, I'm already like 25 minutes into the search at this point. Nobody's helping me. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to go to the van, and I walk around the van, and he's like leaned up against it, sound asleep. He was asleep in the van. When he woke up, he didn't hear any instruction about go to Sonny's. He just went in, went to the bathroom, and then went back to the van. Well, as I turn the corner, he kind of wakes up, and I'm so compassionate. And so glad to see him. And I just looked at him and I said, Cody, where have you been? You know, what are you doing? Why are you not in the restaurant? And I wanted to strangle that kid. Okay, but he was asleep, didn't hear and all this. But I was so, once, once I got past the wanting to strangle him, and probably commit a felony, I was so overjoyed that I had, 
I had found Him. But you know what that's like when you lose something. Or when you lose someone. Man, you cover the whole gamut of emotions, do you not? Because you experience that loss. You feel that loss. And it can bring on a, a, a depth of emotion that you didn't know was possible. Especially if it was like, a, like an heirloom. Something that someone had given you. Maybe it was your mother or a grandmother or a grandparent. Something that was, was passed along and they're, they're no longer with us. And then all of a sudden you can't find it. That's a, that's a feeling of, of panic, isn't it? And so what do you do? You overturn everything looking for it, trying to get it back. And when you finally place your hands on whatever item it might be or whatever person it might be, there's just that sense of, of relief. There's that sense of excitement, that sense of, of joy. And you just you feel like celebrating because it is so exciting. It is so exciting to find that. And how exciting has it been the last two weeks in Cornerstone as we have seen people give their life to Jesus. It's been exciting and it's carrying over into us. That excitement is the emotion that Jesus is tapping into in, in Luke chapter 15. You remember last week we started in Luke 15 in verse 1 and 2 and then we jumped backwards. And I said that over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at five different stories that Jesus tells and they are all based on, I think, what happens in verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15. So let's read that together. Verse 1 says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The religious leaders of, of Jesus' day, they have a huge problem with who Jesus associates with. Okay, they look at Him and they're thinking, okay, you're the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, you shouldn't be hanging out with people like this. You shouldn't be hanging out with people that are the lowlifes, that have no respect in the community. They're filthy, they're unclean, probably because of the, either the things they've handled or the things that they have done. They're completely wretched, they're sinners, and they're tax collectors, and they're the most hated people but yet you, Jesus, claim to be the Son of God and you are hanging out. You're hanging out with people like this. It brings to mind a story in, in, in Luke 7 where Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house. You remember that story? And everything is perfect and he's there for dinner and then that woman busts in. Uninvited. She was not supposed to be there. Yet she is weeping. You remember that? She's weeping and she's crying and then she does something scandalous. She lets down her hair, something that uh, women in, in this region it was considered very improper for them to do, and she dried the feet of Jesus with her, with her tears. And, and Simon's thinking, we've got him. And his inner monologue kicks in, thinking if this man, if he really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is who is, who is touching him. And, of course, Jesus knows his thoughts. Well, that, 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 that attitude has continued. Even though Jesus taught Simon through that, that, that moment, it has continued. Last week, we looked at kind of the same thing. Jesus was at one of the leading Pharisees' house. He's healed somebody, body swollen with fluid. You know, he's kind of, nobody wants him there. And then Jesus talks about being invited. 
Remember, we looked at those, those two different parables where we saw the word invited over and over and over again about how there were these great banquets and all the people that were invited, all the important people, they didn't want to go. They had too much going on. They had too many other things, too many distractions. And finally, the owner said, well, fine, you go out into the streets, into the passages, into the highways and the byways, and you get whoever you find out there, and you, you bring them in here. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that his table, his table is open to all. And that all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our background is or our education, no matter what our past is, things that we've done, all people, all are invited around the table of Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus invites us to, and that's what He's trying to, to get us to listen to. And so, in 15, you have this same thing going on. That Jesus is, is attracting these people. He's talking to them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they see who is gathered around them, and they begin complaining they begin complaining about who he is hanging out with. And so he tells three stories back to back to back. And we're going to look at two of them today. And remember what we said last week. These, these stories, they're not so much about the lost, but they're about those who have no concern for the lost. You see, we have to make sure we have to make sure that, that we, we have a concern for the lost. Am I right? Am I right? We must have a concern for the lost. It is not solely our shepherd's responsibility. It is not solely my responsibility. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you bear the weight of that responsibility. Okay, It is our job to advance the kingdom of heaven. That is why we are here. We are here to advance that kingdom. And so Jesus begins to tell these three stories in response to the attitude of, of the Pharisees. Look in, the, look in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying with them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance now then we've talked about the, the meaning of sheep and how they were the lifeblood of, uh, of, of a family a sheep was, was very important okay, because it provided wool it provided milk, it provided meat and so it was important to sustaining life and so Jesus tells this story, he says suppose you got a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off the owner is going to leave the 99, he's going to go after the one, and he's going to bring it back. And we think, well, wait a minute. Leaving the 99, and it, did you notice where it said it left the 99? It doesn't say in the sheepfold. What does it say? 
out in the open in the field. Well, what is that trying to communicate? Jesus is trying to get these guys to grasp that when God comes after you, when God comes after me, that he did so with reckless abandon. Does that make sense? He was willing to leave everything. He was willing to risk his personal safety, risk it all for you, all for me. And here's the thing. If we are followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to do the same thing. We have to be willing to go into the world with reckless abandon to save the lost. Are you with me? That's what Jesus calls us to. Now that's not an easy thing to do, but this is what He is what He's calling us to. It says when He finds the sheep, He joyfully puts it on His shoulders. And coming home, He, he calls... He calls his friends and his neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. What was lost is now found. What is the response then? Come and celebrate with me. Come and celebrate the fact that I have found this sheep. And then Jesus puts a punchline on the end of the story when he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who, who don't need repentance. And again, that's, that's hyperbole that Jesus is using there because even righteous people need, need, need Jesus, right? We all need Jesus. And so it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek saying statement that he makes there. Well, then he goes on and he tells another story. He says, or what woman, what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. The same way. She's got ten silver coins. Okay? This represents several months' wages. And she loses one. It'd be easy to say, ah, it's just one. Still got nine. But that's not her reaction. She knows the value of this coin. And so she sweeps her house clean. She turns everything over in a frantic search. Finally, she finds the coin. And she rejoices and he calls, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, come and celebrate with me because what I lost, I have now found. Jesus hooks another statement on the end of it. He says, this is the way it is in heaven. The angels, the angels rejoice in heaven when a sinner repents. Well, I did what uh, I've been doing for the last couple of messages, and I took these verses, and I dropped them into a word cloud. And I don't know, I just think it's kind of a neat way of, of looking at a scripture and you sort of see what jumps off the page there. You see one, you see finds, you see neighbors, you see lost, you see sheep, you see rejoice, you see found, you see repents. And then the words begin to, to shrink down a little bit. And it's just, it's a great way and a, and a different way of, of looking at scripture and seeing, 
seeing what, what really we should be focusing on on this. Uh, N.T. Wright, he says this. Well, I'll come back to that in a minute. In these two stories, when what was lost is found, what is the reaction? They celebrate. They rejoice. They, they, they throw a party. You see, when we, when we discover... When we discover how things are in, in heaven, then it should be our job to bring them to earth. Remember in Matthew 6.10, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. What? As it is in heaven. Jesus has just said, when a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. When a sinner repents and comes back, the angels rejoice in heaven. So what is going on in heaven when a sinner repents should be the same outpouring here on earth. We should rejoice when we see life change. Have you ever been to a place where someone came forward or you've seen a baptism, somebody give their life to Jesus? It's just like, yay, great, good job. It's like stepping into a funeral home. When really it's the, it's the exact opposite. They've, they've stepped out of death. They've stepped into life. We should be celebrating. When someone has a baby, man, celebrate that birth. We should celebrate the same way when someone steps away from their life of sin and steps into Jesus, now this quote that we looked at from N.T. Wright, he says, this is why there's a party going on. All heaven is having a party. The angels joining in, and if we don't have one as well, we'll be out of tune with God's reality. Doesn't that make sense? Our response, when we see people come to Jesus, it should be the, the very same way. For us to have that response, we have to have something on the front end of that, don't we? We have to have concern for the individual. Does that make sense? We have to have a concern for the condition that they find themselves in before they find themselves in Jesus. I, I am not interested. And hear me when I say this. Don't, don't misquote what I'm about to say. I am not interested in belonging to a church that is for saved people only. Are you with me? I am not interested in attending a church that is only for the saved. And I'll tell you this, they're out there. Okay, I've been to them. It's very obvious that they're only for the saved. 
God, forgive us if we ever become that way. We have to have a heart for the lost. Remember, what this story is about, it's not really about the lost. It's about having a concern for those who are lost. And so as we look at this story, we have to turn the microscope on ourselves and ask, are we the same way? Are we like the Pharisees when we see broken people come in, when we see messy people come in whose lives don't look like ours, okay, who are a complete wreck, when we see those people come in or we bump into them, are we offended and avoid them and don't want to be with them and think they ought to be somewhere else? Because if that is our attitude, then we're just like those Pharisees. And Jesus' message is, you guys need to wake up. You need to pull your head out of wherever it's stuck because you're missing the point. Because Jesus invites every single one of us around His table. And our job, once we've got a seat, our job is to go do the same thing. Invite people around the table. That's what I want us to do. I mean, that's why we issued that challenge last week. We want you. Let me, and I think I can speak on behalf of Tommy and Jeffrey right here. We expect. We expect for those of you that have given your life to Jesus, we expect you to be inviting people around the table. Because that's what, am I right? That's what we expect. The kingdom of God, it's, it's too good not to tell people about. There are too many people that are going to die and are going to go to hell. Okay? I mean, I mean Scripture even confirms it. Okay? More people are going to choose hell than choose heaven. Okay? When he talks about the two roads, remember? The broad and the narrow. And he's saying most people are going to choose the broad way. Let's make sure we're not helping more people choose the broad way. You know what I'm saying? We have to be kind of the signposts to the, to the narrow way, to the way of, of Jesus. Now then, that doesn't mean that you stand up and you start all of a sudden leading a Bible study at, at work or at school. Now, if God's given you that ability and you have the, the means to do that and your job allows for something like that, great. God bless you. Go do it. But it might mean that your approach is more like Andrew. You know, we don't read a whole lot about Andrew in Scripture, but what we do read is that he connected people with Jesus. Okay, we saw an Andrew kind of thing happen last week. Uh, with Stephen who wanted to, to, to be baptized. You know, I didn't know about that. Somebody came to me and told me about it. Okay, it was Sam. And I told him, I said, what you did was just like Andrew. Uh, you told it, we got him connected to Jesus. Okay, and had you not done that, his life would have been different. Or it would have continued on, but it was completely different. Okay, maybe that's just your charge. Maybe... Uh, maybe you don't have that ability to teach or that's not how God has gifted you. You know what? You can be an Andrew. You can bring someone. You can invite somebody and you can connect them with, with, with people who 
who, like me, just can't seem to stop talking. Okay? And I'm not the only one. There's more here. Okay? But you can connect them with people who can lead them to Jesus. Okay? We've, we've got to be about bringing in lost people. We absolutely we have to make that our concern. As I said, I'm not interested in being a part of a church that is only interested in saved people. I don't think Jesus was either. In, uh, uh, well, Luke 5, Luke 5, Jesus said, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I've come, to, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners into repentance. Jesus was interested in the law. He was interested in, in bringing them into a, a deep and committed relationship. Uh, Luke 19.10, as he's dealing with Zacchaeus, he says, I came to seek and save the found. I came to seek and save the lost. And that's, that's our mission as well. So, two questions. Number one, are we seeking the lost? with reckless abandon. That's what Jesus did, or that's what the, the man in the parable did. He left the 99 to go seek the one. Are we seeking the lost with reckless abandon? Second question. Do we celebrate on earth as they do in heaven when someone repents? Who's ready for college football? Come on, give me a shout if you're ready for college football. All right. Now then, who gets really excited over college football? Who yells and screams and hollers when your team wins? Some of you, it's going to be tough for you to say. But you get excited when your team does good, don't you? We have to have more excitement than that about seeing people come to Jesus. Make sense? Man, I get more, I, it's bad, but I, get, I can get over, I can get more passionate about football than I can about Jesus. God forgive me. We can't let that happen. Can't let that happen. We have to be focused on Jesus. So we have to make sure that when we see people come into Christ, we celebrate the same way heaven celebrates. That way, in, in that avenue, we make things on earth as, as they are in heaven. We've seen four people give their life to Jesus over the last two weeks. It's been an incredible thing. There's an incredible spirit that is moving among us, and praise God. Praise God for it. I want to, uh, I want to share a story with you. This is uh, some friends of mine and Bethany. Their names are uh, Victor and Ludmila. They're from, uh, they're from the Ukraine. And we met them more than 10 years ago. Uh, Ludmila is a gymnastics coach, and she coached, uh, I want to say, on the national level, or pretty close to the national level, in, uh, in Ukraine. And uh, Victor's done all kinds of, of work. He primarily is a day laborer, construction, that kind of thing. And they came to Noonan, Georgia, uh, more than 10 years ago, where we were living and I was working at the time. And they just happened to be driving by, and Ludmila 
pulled in and uh, the minister I was working with said, well, why did you choose this church? And she said, well, because I saw all these different kinds of churches and I saw yours said the church of Christ. And that's what I was looking for was Christ. So that's why I came here. I just stopped here. So we were, we were glad about that. And so then this series of, of studies started taking place between our minister and Victor and Ludmila and they began to, to, attend, uh, to attend our church and uh, we just got to, to really, uh, really loving them. And, and um, the shortest mission trip I ever went on was with Victor. Um, he had to leave the country. He had to leave the country and come back in to start the green card process because he tried to pay his taxes as an illegal, but he was going, not as an illegal, as a, as a visiting person, but he was working. He wanted to do his part. He wanted to pay his taxes. And when he did, they said, wait a minute, you got to go. So he went out to come back in to start the process over the right way, but he had to go to a country that would uh, let him in, and uh, he had to go to Peru. And so they wanted somebody to go with him, and I was the only one that had a valid passport and could go, and so I got sent to Peru with Victor, I guess to keep stuff from happening to them. And we got down there, and he protected me way more than I protected him. Uh, he, uh, it turned out that his Russian-Ukrainian was uh, much more like, like uh, Spanish than what I knew from high school. And so he became the translator. And I, while I was there to help him, it was really Victor who helped me. But we, you know, we were in Peru for 27 hours and flew back home. Uh, and then he got everything taken care of, and he's now a, a U.S. citizen. But uh, they continued to, to study. They continued to chase after Jesus. And she set the date of, of her baptism. And it also happened to be on her physical birthday. And not only that, was it on her physical birthday, she had it done down to the minute she was baptized on her physical birth minute. Okay, and it was cool. And uh, so the day comes and we get there. Uh, and in the sort of lobby, the, the, the baptistry was not in the auditorium. It was kind of out in the, in the lobby where you could go and see. And it was really neat. But we get there that day, and, I mean, there's cakes and pastries and all of these things. She has set up a party because she recognized. I mean, she's read stories like this and says they, they celebrate in heaven. We should celebrate as well. And she threw a party on the day of her and her husband's baptism. I, I'd never seen that before, and I was so impressed by that. I mean, it made a deep impression on me that that's what it is about. And I remember she, she came up out of that water and she just looked at us and she said, I'm, I'm so happy. You know, she was just thrilled because she had given her life to Jesus. And we celebrated. She, she planned a celebration. That's the kind of stuff we need to be celebrating. She threw this incredible party. And, and just a, as a, another point of interest in their life, they just... Uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, they just were able to adopt uh, a, a young man from, was he from Russia or Ukraine? I believe he's from Russia. But uh, it's a boy that they met years ago, and I don't know if he's been in a great situation, but they were able to bring him. And they had pictures up the other day of, uh, of him starting his first day of school in America. And so it was just a, a great thing. But she gave us... She gave us a, a physical picture of what it looks like, of what this story looks like. 
that we are to be making things on earth as they are in heaven. Okay? That's part of the prayer of Jesus, to make things on earth as they are in heaven. Okay? Well, in order to do that, we have to have a concern for the lost. And so I issue the challenge to you again this week. Go invite somebody. Invite somebody and bring them in. And, and we're going to ask you about it. We're going to ask you if you've invited somebody this week. Okay? We all know somebody. Now then, here, I'm going to add something to the challenge, too. When you invite somebody, I mean, invite whoever you want to, but specifically be thinking about people who are not involved in church or don't know Jesus, okay? Because we have to be concerned not just about displaced Christians. We have to be concerned about people who are, are caught in the grips of Satan and need to be released from that grip. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to that. The next Sunday, really probably the next two weeks, we're going to jump into the story. Of, you know, we call it the prodigal son. I think it's more than that. I think it's more about the loving father. But we're going to look at this, this wayward son. We're also going to look at the other wayward son. Because even though he was home, he was still lost. He still was, was missing it, okay? We don't want to be home and be missing it. You understand what I'm saying? We don't want to be here in the church, plugged in, but missing what's going on out there. We have to have a concern for the lost. Do you personally, are you individually concerned for lost people in your life? That's a heavy question, isn't it? If not, I pray that God will change that in you. I pray that He'll change your heart. And He'll give you that, that passion to see people come into a relationship with Jesus. I think our charge from our, our shepherds three years ago remains the same. They said, we're not willing to say no to anything that is going to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. That's reckless abandon for lost people. We have to have that same reckless abandon. God, help us to have that. And so if you don't have that, I pray that you'll change today, that you, starting today, you will begin to see people in a different manner. You'll realize that when you look into someone's eyes, that you're looking into the eyes of someone that Jesus died for, and that they need Jesus just as much as you continue to need Jesus. And that you'll invite them to meet Him. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus today, don't wait. <clears throat> you don't have to wait all you really need to know is that Jesus is Lord and that you are hopeless without Him. Everything else we teach along the way. But it's about coming into Jesus. You need Jesus to have eternal life. If we can help you, 
if we can pray for you, if we can baptize you into his name today. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?